0: Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not gonna be doing this podcast forever. Sorry. I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now. And planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy. And it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
1: The legends are true. Overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! With
0: You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to
1: keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. In case you're financial fears with a blast of sun, now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn.
0: Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn and this is Bad With Money. I maybe like to talk about myself just a little bit. Obviously, I have a podcast where it's a lot of me monologuing. So yeah, I like to talk about myself. I like to hear myself talk. If I'm being honest, the best hosts in entertainment are very good at talking about themselves. Also, I share a lot here, which makes you relate to me, which makes you feel close to me, which means we're having a symbiotic podcast experience. Anyway... All season long, you, my dear listeners, have been doing what you do, which is listening to me and experiencing my journey. But I know that you are all on journeys of your own, and I get to hear snippets of these on social media whenever we post a new episode. But I want more. So I put out tweets and posts on Instagram asking for listeners to share their stories. We're family on this show, you guys. We're like the Fast and the Furious crew. We're just familia. And I can't make a big decision like whether to move abroad Without hearing from my family. So, this whole episode, I finally get to talk to you. No, no, I get to listen to your stories. Maybe you're moving to another country, just considering leaving everything behind, or maybe you're fleeing another country and you're coming to America. I don't know, whatever journey that you're on right now, I wanna hear what you're going through. Okay, International Bad with Money Family, let's chat. I'm gonna call a listener somewhere in Texas. Hello, this is Madeline. Hey, this is Gabby. How's it going? Um, pretty well. This is very, very exciting for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's such
2: an honor, truly.
0: Oh uh well, thank you for responding. I appreciate it. We need of like course. listener listener experiences. Okay, so can you tell our listeners who you are and what you do?
2: Um, my name is Madeline. I'm 23. I'm from Dallas, Texas. Yeehaw.
0: <laughs> um, I have a social social science
2: degree with a focus in sociology from the University of North Texas. Um, I am currently unemployed since I'm not able to work a no- normal nine to five job because of disabilities. Um, so I have chronic fatigue syndrome, aka ME, um, fibromyalgia, POTS, among other illnesses, as well as severe anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, the illness illnesses that I have are very poorly understood by doctors and getting an actual diagnosis can almost be be almost impossible since they are all invisible illnesses Mm -hmm. that are very hard to separate from their comorbidities. Like something can you can have fibromyalgia symptoms, but then you can be misdiagnosed as having depression, for example. Right. Um, And this isn't even counting the the. Obstacle of being unable to pay the absurd amount of money it takes to get all the testing done.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yes. The healthcare stuff is very interesting because the next question is why do you want to leave the U.S. And I'm pretty sure healthcare would <laughs> would factor in hugely there.
2: Yes. Um, okay. So I am, I am disabled. Right. I am also gay, and one of my partners is trans, and so I guess also I'm also poly. Mm-hmm. Um, and trans healthcare is extremely expensive and there are actual countries who do cover it. Um, I, through some wild, awesome coincidence, I actually have a family friend who's currently living in Spain who's trans, who recently went through the entire process. Um, And just as an example of like one of the amazing things that you have, you can, you have, I think 16 weeks off after having like a surgery. Whoa. You're paid 75% of your income during that period of time.
0: For specifically like uh, trans-related surgeries? Yes. So like for like top surgery, for example. What?
2: Yes. So and actually another reason that I want to leave the U.S. is I'm not a very American person. Um, both my mom's parents are European. Mm-hmm. My grandfather's Polish. My, my, my grandmother's Irish. Um, and I also grew up in a very global city like in, in Dallas, even though it's a more spread out city. And I've always felt the most at home o- among like an immense amount of diversity. Like that would be my absolute favorite. Like like the, that's like the, one of the main things I'm looking for in another city.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So where are you thinking of going? Is Spain
2: the main place? Spain is my top one right now. Um, So they have good healthcare, as I said, including trans health, as I said, reasonable living costs, moderate weather a very rich culture and like history um really amazing food uh like the cities themselves you are like the, the cities that i'd probably most likely would be living in are also very pretty culturally diverse mm-hmm. like it's not like london but it's it's still pretty good um they also have very strict gun laws and good infrastructure i also already know spanish though so it's probably going to take me a second to become completely fluent. Mm-hmm. I also kind of have my grand my grandmother, my grandfather and my mother all adore Spain. Um, and they even lived there when my mom was around four
0: years old. So they did they, it.
2: Oh, yeah. They, they, and, they, and they've since been back many, many times.
0: So what was the breaking point in terms of leaving the U.S.? So
2: I, as I said, my grandfather is Polish. Um, he was... In the Polish resistance during World War II. And he's actually a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, I have a more in-depth personal understanding of what fascism looks like and the violence that it begets.
0: So fascism really, really terrifies me. I mean, I, I my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, too. And yes. I think there's a lot of uh fear and like, okay. Cause you know, they always say, oh, well, why didn't everyone leave? I don't understand. Like if you saw the Nazis like starting, why didn't you leave? And it's much harder than that. But you know, I think like people, it happens very slowly, which is what's scary. So you guys are planning this, everybody together. What kind of sacrifices are necessary for you to leave the U S like what sort of stuff are pe- cause people are afraid of, of the sacrifice of it. So what kind of stuff are you sacrificing?
2: Um so I don't think I'm sacrificing a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. I'm also not I'm not particularly attached to the US. Um I am probably the biggest thing for me and then also for both my partners is going to be leaving our families and friends. Right. That's like the main reason why one of my partners is more just neutral about the entire prospect. Erin is very 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 close to her family? Yeah. And like even so we're we're probably going to be – we're moving somewhere in the U.S. For, for Percy's job. but We don't know where yet. And then she's going to follow us in a year. But, like, even the prospect of moving out of Texas for her family is going to be – like, she's going to have to explain that to them.
0: Yeah. That's a big part of it for a lot of people. Yeah. Because it's like a monetary – I mean, there's monetary sacrifices in terms of, like, finding a job and figuring out, yes. you know, where you're going to live. And then there's the emotional side of it, too. Um in in terms of that like how difficult do you think the process would be to settle somewhere else do you think do you think like if you guys do it in like a year and a half or something that it'll be worth it in the end that it's something worth like saving money to do and that it's worth like uh all the sort of stuff of like resettling and figuring out taxes and figuring out cuz you know it's there's a lot of paperwork and stuff uh and people are I was looking at some people on Twitter who were like uh, you know, the whole process could cost like eight thousand dollars or some something where people don't. Yes. People think they can just hop on over to Europe and there's not going to be like visas and paperwork and whatever all that stuff, which you seem to be prepared for. But do I am you...
2: very prepared for paperwork. <laughs> um,
1: but do you I'm... think
0: it'll all be sort of worth doing all that stuff in the end? Yes. Yeah,
2: so the the way that I'm getting to the to Europe mm-hmm. is through Irish citizenship through my grandmother because my grandmother is born in Ireland and Ireland has a thing wherever you you're born abroad and you can still, re- you can still become a, um, a citizen by registering through the, where is it? What is it called? Registering a foreign birth. Um, and basically I just need like a good amount of legal documentation, um, from my, from my family. Like I need my grandmother's marriage certificate, mm-hmm. her birth certificate, my mom's birth certificate, my mom's marriage certificate, my birth certificate, like passport or like Texas IDs from uh, copies from all from all parties and a lot of paperwork. And I think like probably a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Which isn't like completely unfeasible for me.
0: So you, so you think like in the end, you know, it's worth it to leave the U.S. Uh, because it doesn't have the situation that you want basically.
2: Yes. And I like, I'm also at a point in my life where it's more feasible. Like I don't have any children to take care of right i
0: no, no kids you could save money you have like the citizenship moving to europe is still going
2: to be significantly significantly cheaper just because of how many um how much medical stuff my um percy and i are going to need
0: that's super important um thank you so, thank you so much madeline i really uh, thank you i really appreciate it it's an absolute honor to speak to
2: like your podcast and book has also been like wonderful re- wonderful resource for me it's also like really inspired me to try to like actually use my talents in finance to like help support myself and my family and humanity at large. So thank you for all the work that you do.
0: Wow. Thank you. (laughs) I really appreciate it. And thank you for doing this. Of course. Have a wonderful day. I got to say, we get experts on this show all the time that share their wisdom and give a broad sense of whatever I want to know. But There is something special about connecting with people that have been with me for the last four years. That's right. I've been doing the show for four years. Can you guys believe it? I know that you guys are listening like I know it, but it's another kind of awareness to actually get to talk to you and and hear that you listen, if that makes sense. Now, another listener. That's right. There's at least two of you, I guess, plus my parents. So four people listen to this show. We're going to call Madison. She sent an email saying she's been bouncing around to different countries and cities for a little while now. So let's hear what's going on with her. Hello? Hey, is this Madison?
3: This is Madison.
0: Hey, are is it okay that we called early?
3: Yeah, this is perfect.
0: Oh, wonderful. Um, can you tell our listeners who you are and what you do?
3: Yeah, so my name is Madison Walsh. I am an emotional intelligence educator. Uh, So, what that means is, I go around to schools and teach other young people about their emotions, how to feel their emotions. Um, I teach them about nonviolent communication. And uh, before that, I was a farmer.
0: A farmer? What do you mean?
3: Um, When I was 19 years old, I moved to Maui. This was in 2013. Uh, and became an organic farmer. And I was a farmer for about seven years. Um, and on one of the farms, I learned nonviolent communication, which led me to emotional intelligence, which uh, is actually how I traveled the world.
0: Yeah. So, so why did you leave the U.S. in 2015? So initially I left uh,
3: because I wanted to travel and I wanted to go explore um, like I said, in in two thousand and thirteen, I moved to Maui and I was working on a farm, uh, and I worked there for about two years. And then I found out, you know, about a work trade program called Woof. that's a worldwide organization where you can travel while farming and live for free. Um, and I found an opportunity in New Zealand. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. I wanted to travel anyways. Um, and then it turned into, a two-year-long trip where I actually ended up trying to immigrate to Germany uh, to not have to come back to the United States.
0: So you left in 2015. Can you describe what you saw happening in the U.S. from an outside perspective while you were gone?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It was really eye-opening. So I left in uh, April of 2015 and went to New Zealand. And two months later in June, uh, Trump announced that he was running for – president um and I remember watching it on a television in a hostel and thinking that like many Americans like think he was kind of a joke Mm -hmm. um and then it obviously wasn't (laughs) and uh, I got more serious um and also being from an outside perspective, uh, and like witnessing all of the mass shootings that I think had become kind of a, like a normal part of uh, of like daily news broadcasting for me when I was in the U.S., I would hear like mass shooting, mass shooting, mass shooting, and of course it was like heart wrenching and awful. Um, but I I think uh, like many people kind of became a little bit numb to it. And then when I was in these other countries where there wasn't guns allowed or people didn't own assault rifles and, you know, being around uh, Kiwis and Australians and having them just be absolutely horrified by gun laws in America, um, I really started to, you know, <laughs> recognize it even more just Mm -hmm. how messed up it was especially in 2015 there were more days with mass shootings than not and you know seeing that reported from an outside perspective um yeah just made me realize like how unsafe the U.S. can be uh
0: the other places you were living and and you mentioned New Zealand like what what's their relationship to guns I mean there's like nothing right there's like almost no no shootings. yeah
3: there's no shootings um yeah. You're not allowed to own a firearm there. Uh, if I, I, I'm not quite sure about New Zealand, but I know I lived in Australia for a year after New Zealand. In Australia, you are not allowed to own a firearm. Personally, there's no concealed and carry. Um, you can apply, and it's a pretty like rigorous process to get a gun if you live in the outback and you have to be a certain uh, distance away from a city, um, and it's for hunting purposes only, and it's a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very, very different rules, very different laws. And most Kiwis and Australians that I spoke to had never even seen a gun in person. They had never like, fired a gun. They thought the idea of us owning guns for protection was absolutely ridiculous, and um, but the main thing that I realized, you know, when I, when I left Kansas, uh, in 2013, so many of my, you know, relatives who had, had never really left the Midwest were telling me, be careful, you know, the world is so dangerous. Uh, and then when I got out into the world, I realized like, you know, it, it of course it has its, its dangers and, um, things to look out for and, you know, be smart about. Um, but being able to see the U S from that outside perspective, I really recognize like the U S is pretty dangerous and talking to these people from other countries. And a lot of them saying like, Oh, I would never want to travel to the U.S. i S I'm afraid of guns. Like I'm afraid of getting shot. Um, and realizing that's like a real fear for people in other countries and that's how they view us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah.
3: huge for me as well. It was something that as time went on and I traveled more that I became more afraid of. Um, And in 2016, when the election was happening, I was living in Germany uh, and I actually voted absentee from Germany. And I remember calling a couple of my friends who were traveling, um, other Americans who were traveling in different parts of the world. And saying, hey, you guys, we need to vote. This is a really important election. And um, kind of explaining the process of how to like register to be absentee, especially when you're on the move, can be hard. And when Trump was elected, I decided that I wanted to apply for a work visa in Germany um, and went through that process and actually was denied um, and yeah, that, that was, uh, that was, that was a hard, that was a hard thing. It was pretty heartbreaking.
0: Why were you denied? So I was originally
3: in Germany on a visitor's visa and this is at like the beginning of 2016 or middle. Yeah. Uh, spring of 2016. Um, and then I was on a language visa, uh, because I realized if I wanted to get a work visa, I had to, uh, speak the language. And there's a a pretty rigorous process. You have to – there's a lot of hoops to jump through. Like, Germany is known for its bureaucracy, and they definitely live up to it. Um, But, yeah, you um, have to, like, apply for a job, and that job has to be offered to any German national and then any country within um, the Schengen law, uh, which includes, I think – oh, I'm not quite sure, but I think it's, like, nine or ten countries – and Germany didn't recognize my degree um, and uh, I couldn't speak German at more than at, like a basic conversational level. So they viewed me as an you know an uneducated immigrant who couldn't speak the language um, I also was trying to immigrate to Germany during uh, the height of the Syrian war in 2016. Um, there had been a lot of bombings and many refugees were trying to flee Syria. um, Syria, And Angela Merkel, uh, the president of Germany, um, opened up the borders uh, for hundreds of thousands of Syrians to come in. And there was a huge rise in Nazi activity. Um, And, you know, they were burning the buses that the Syrians were coming in on, and there was a bombing. um, And I was living in Berlin at the time. So a lot of Syrians were coming in through uh through berlin mm-hmm. and uh it was a, it was a pretty scary time you know i um you don't you don't see nazis out in the open because it's illegal to be a nazi you're n- you are not allowed to do that uh you can't you know display a swastika um mm-hmm. even for like anti nazi propaganda it has to be like completely broken apart to where you can't recognize that it's a swastika mm-hmm. um and suddenly you know buildings had swastikas graffiti on the outside of them. And Mm. um, yeah, it was scary. Uh, (laughs) And during that time, I was going to the immigration office quite often, checking up on my visa, submitting more paperwork. And I would go to the immigration office and there would be like hundreds of Syrian refugees there, like spilling out of the building. All of us kind of crammed in there like sardines and uh, the immigration officers wouldn't speak with me in English. And at the time I had a German partner, um, and they would come with me to the office. and uh, you know, I'd speak to my German partner and they would go to speak to the the official. and before um, they would even translate what I said, the official would be speaking back to them in German. And I asked one of them like, you know, if you can understand English, why can't you just speak to me? And they're like, oh, sorry, we're not allowed to. And, you know, a lot of these Mm. Syrian refugees, um, they, a lot of them could speak English and uh, none of them really spoke German. They'd never planned on coming to Germany. It was something that they had to do out of necessity. And so there was, you know, a lot of frustration and they're in crisis. They're like trying to find their families. Men Mm -hmm. and women were split up. Um, some of them were sent to other countries. they were trying to find their documentation and apply for passports and visas and they were trying to work and recover their bank information and my partner and I would end up staying at the immigration office for hours past my appointment time um, just helping people translate and f- like try to get help and it was just like heartbreaking story after heartbreaking story and there were so many times on like the train ride home that I would just like sob for these people. I mean, of it was heart wrenching. Yeah, um, and you know I I had an incredible privilege uh, being you know a white woman trying to immigrate to Germany, but a lot of these people were being treated very poorly because they are people of color, and, um, and there is you know a lot of racism there.
0: I think there people think immigration is easy, but it is not, and you can get Rejected for many many reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Was there were there a lot of fees connected to to the paperwork and everything? There were some.
3: Um, for my language visa, um, I had to pay for school, which was uh, pretty expensive. Um, and then I had to freeze money in a German bank account, and that money was um, doled out to me in uh, like set amounts on in certain times of the month. And the idea behind that was, uh, so that I wouldn't, you know, go broke and be a burden on Germany. And, uh, there was like some really strange phrasing around it, but essentially so that I wouldn't spend all my money and then stay in the country. Huh? Yeah. So I had to have, um, even though I was approved for the language visa in order to get it, I remember having to have enough, like show that I had enough money to leave the country, um, and when my visa was denied, I received a letter in the mail and my partner read it and, um, immediately said to me, you know, if, if you want to continue to live here, I will marry you and we can continue dating. And so I looked at getting married in Germany, which I had to apply for a marriage license. Mm-hmm. Cause I guess when you're 18, you get a piece of paper from the state of Germany saying, uh, you are allowed to get married now. Um, so I'd apply for that. I got a lawyer. Uh, we looked into getting married in Holland because it's like the Vegas of Europe. You can do like quickie weddings there for like 800 <laughs> euros. Uh, and ultimately my, um, my lawyer told me that if I wanted to get married there, I was going to have to leave the country for six months anyways to like process the paperwork and our marriage wouldn't want to be recognized in the United States. So it would be beneficial for me, but not for him. Um, and, uh, ultimately I decided to come back to the United States and, um, and be here.
0: I think people, yeah, I think people don't take into account how much time and money goes into that kind of thing. When you left the U.S. initially, were you making career sacrifices? Um,
3: yeah, so <laughs> I uh, I had a degree as a nutritionist, and I was doing like nutrition consulting um, and uh, private chef work in people's homes, um, and I used that to to travel, um, but in a very different way. And uh, I wanted to learn how to be a farmer so that I could be um, I could be sustainable so that I could, uh, you know, kind of know the ins and outs of like how to take care of myself and, uh, understand food on a different level. And, um, I purposely made like career sacrifices in a way, um, and kind of made myself uncomfortable to test myself, Mm -hmm. uh, like in New Zealand, um, I was staying at hostels. I was work trading on farms. I was backpacking for the first time, um, and just kind of pushing myself in that way. Uh, but when, you know, I, when I got to Germany, I was ready to live there mm-hmm. and, uh, and continue my career. And I wanted to do, um, like continue with nutrition education and things like that. And, uh, yeah, that, that one was hard because once they denied my, my, um, application for, uh, sending over my degree, um, they, uh, my options became really limited. And then I had to look for jobs in the service industry and like cooking in restaurants. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and that was a sacrifice, you know, that I was willing to make at that point.
0: When you left, did you sell all your stuff? What did you move with? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So, um, when I left,
3: uh, I had a um, I, I had a pretty established uh, like in home cooking and catering business, and I gave all my clients to a friend who was doing that. I sold my car, um, I sold you know all or sold and gave away all my clothing, and moved to Maui initially with a um, suitcase and a backpack. And then when I went to travel the world, I wanted to experiment with being a, min- a minimalist. Um, So I had three changes of clothes and a 32 liter backpack, which is like the size of a school bag, uh, and my tent and a sleeping pad. And that was it. And, um, I remember I was, I was going to go without a phone too. Uh, and my mom was very upset about that (laughs) and, (laughs) uh, She, um, she bought a, uh, an iPhone for me. It was my first, it was the first smartphone I ever owned. Um, and like snuck it into my bag, um, (sighs) because I I went home uh, to visit right before I left for New New Zealand and say goodbye to everyone. And she snuck it into my bag. And I remember getting to that first hostel and opening up my bag. And right on top was the (laughs) phone from my mom. And it was like, please use this. I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. In terms of leaving the US, I mean, the sacrifices are that. And also like, did you ever visit family? Did family come visit you?
3: Yeah. So when I lived in um, Maui from 2013 to 2015, um, I only went home once. Uh, So there was two years and I went home once. And then um, when I was gone for the next two years, my mom came uh, to visit me in Australia. And so I'd been gone for about a year at that point. Um. And then, yeah, I part of the reason I came home, too, um, in 2017 was because I had a niece who was one years old that I had never met. Um, and that is a really hard part and a reality for people who are traveling or living away from home. Even now, living in Maui, I only see my family once a year. I, I pick either Thanksgiving or Christmas to go home.
0: I've got more questions, but we're going to pause here. We need to take a super quick break, so be right back. And we are back. When you were in Europe, uh, did did you feel like things were more open to you? The world was more open to you? You... I mean, you talked about gaining the perspective on the U.S. where you're sort of like, oh, wait, because I think a lot of people living here are like, no, this is the only place I could live.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, traveling definitely opened me up to living in other countries. Um, I lived in Australia for a year on a work visa, and it was nice going to all these other countries and spending a, a longer period of time there and really kind of. Taking on the lifestyle and seeing, like, does it fit? Does this feel like a place that I could stay? Um, And I I think I got that before I went to Germany. And that's why Germany felt, like, more open to me. But it does come with its own challenges. I mean, before I stepped foot in Germany, I I didn't speak any German at Mm -hmm. all. Um, and I initially went and lived with a family who were so very kind, um, in this tiny village in like Southeast Germany, uh, and none of them could speak English. So it was like three months of charades. (laughs) Uh, and the, the dad, um, and I just like pointing at things. I'd say the English word and he'd say the German word, uh, and me watching a ton of like, kids shows trying to like pick up on the vocabulary um and it yeah it it, I mean it definitely had its own set of challenges too like not being able to understand the announcements on like the train for instance and the train would just suddenly stop and I'd be like oh why'd we stop you know uh or like getting getting lost um in Berlin and trying to like ask for directions and having to search like 30 minutes for somebody who could like help me out Mm -hmm. um
0: and you yeah. found cheap ways to like I think people also think it's very expensive to to travel or move abroad. but you found these sort of cheap ways to to do that, like the farming. and then, yeah. how did you find the German family?
3: Yeah. so, um
0: in total, for
3: the two years I was gone, I spent about of about five thousand dollars. and that included like travel, accommodations, food. Um what I learned uh, pretty early on, living in Maui, Was that if I could get my housing and my food covered, life was pretty inexpensive from there on out. A lot of the things that I enjoy doing are like being outside, um, and hiking, and you know, going to the beach and things. So it's not stuff that costs a lot of money. And like I said, I had three changes of clothes, so I wasn't spending a whole lot of money on like clothing or anything like that. Um, But yeah, uh, in New Zealand, in Australia, and in Thailand. I worked traded at hostels. I did house sitting. Um, I lived at a couple Buddhist monasteries working for the monks. Uh, and, you know, anywhere that has a Buddhist monastery, they probably need help. Um, cooking, cleaning, uh, doing any sort of trade like that. Um, and I got to learn about Buddhism, which I didn't know anything about. How did you <laughs> uh, find and, all this stuff? Um, re- like just research and kind of word of mouth. Um, I don't recommend traveling the way that, (laughs) that, that I did at first. Uh, when I left uh, to New Zealand, I didn't have anything planned out. I had, I had about two weeks of my two year long trip planned. Um, so I definitely recommend doing more research than I did. A lot of this was like a crash, crash course. Uh, but going into hostels and really talking to people and just getting creative, um, the Buddhist monastery I actually found because I was on a train uh, heading into Wellington and I saw a sign for a Buddhist monastery. And so I went and then I saw that there were people staying there and I just asked them, hey, can do you need help? Can I stay here with you? And while I was there, I met a, a German man and that I lived with his family when I got to Germany. So just um, you know making connections and just getting crafty. Um, one of the things I did at the hostels as well is Uh, I I would clean for a room so I'd clean for a couple hours a day or one hostel I like walked a woman's dog for a free (laughs) place to stay Um, but I would also cook and package up the meals so I'd go to uh, like a Chinese takeout place and ask them for a bunch of containers And then um, I would go to the store and buy like a bag of white rice is really cheap. And then I'd ask them if they had any like vegetables that were about to go bad or, um, you know, if it was the end of the day, I'd ask them for like the rest of the meat that was behind the counter. And then I'd just make something simple like a stir fry and package it up and I'd sell it at the hostel for like $10 for a box. And that was how I'd get my gas money to my next place um, or buy my next meal.
0: That is crafty.
3: Yeah. And shit! um, yeah. Teaching like yoga lessons. And, uh, I, I did performance hula hoop for a little while. So I traveled with hula hoops and then I would teach people like hula hoop lessons and ask for donations. Um, yeah, things like that. I mean, if you, if you can, if you can cook, if you can clean, there is always a job for you, uh, all around the world, you know, so finding a skill, um, even farming, uh, you know, writing, whatever it is. Um, Somebody wants it. It's just finding out how to get it to them.
0: Wow. The hula hoop thing I did not see coming. (laughs) (laughs) You could have given me a million guesses and I would not have gone to hula hoop lessons. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Uh, yeah. I mean, it's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Do you listen to Bad With Money? Because we're trying something new with this episode because listeners have been on this journey with me for years. So We wanted to do an episode to hear how our listeners are evolving as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So is this the kind of episode that you'd want to hear, like the experience and journeys of other listeners? Yeah,
3: absolutely. So I do listen to Bad With Money. I also listen to uh, Just Between Us.
0: Oh, wow. Um,
3: Yeah. uh, It is something I'd like to hear. I was listening to your last episode where you were talking to the woman about van life and kind of alternative living styles. Uh, and I, I could relate to that a lot. And I think, you know, had I heard that episode when I was 19, when I was 20, um, it would have, you know, turned a lot of light switches on for me and kind of given me a lot of ideas, uh, of, of, you know, there being an alternative life instead of having to stumble on that on my own. And so I do think that i I'm, for me personally, like those, ep- those episodes are really interesting. And, uh, you know, if, if this, if this conversation that you and I are having could help somebody get inspired to travel or to like face their fears, um, know that there are other ways to go about it that don't cost an arm and a leg. and uh, I think, you know, that would be beneficial.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are are afraid to leave the U.S. or afraid yeah. to to have any sort of life outside of what sort of the U.S. Mm-hmm. society deems appropriate. Like, I remember I was so focused on college and I had – and getting, like, my degree and stuff and I had an opportunity to go to Amsterdam – Um, And I turned it down because I was like, no, I have to get a degree. And it was like a very Americanized way of thinking, I think, is what was going on for me at the time. And now I'm sort of like, (laughs) that was like 10 years ago. And I'm like, what, that, what, why did you think school was so, you dummy? Like, I was very like, why were you so married to the idea Mm -hmm. of like staying and and working and doing school? And I was worried like, well, if I go away to Amsterdam, when I come back to the U.S., am I going to be able to find a job? Which like, I grew up. With you know, obviously you listen to the show. So I always have a scarcity mindset of like, job, 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 need to have a job. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that, that my situation is relatable to a lot of people. And I think hearing, um, you and the other people in this episode, it's like, you realize like, Hey, you're young and, or, or old or whatever. And just like, you can do different things.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was raised with that same type of mentality. Um, my mom would always say, like, when you go to college, when you get a job, right. when you marry a nice Christian boy, like all of her dreams uh, for me. <laughs> um, uh, so it never seemed like an option to do anything else. And um, I I remember when I wanted to, to leave Kansas, I had just graduated um, and I had a couple more years of schooling left and I found a way to do it online. And... My parents thought that I was nuts. They were like, What are you doing? You're throwing your life away. Like you just you have this business that you've started, you know, you have this degree. Like, why wouldn't you stay here and build that? And I just kept thinking, like, there's there's gotta be more. Mm-hmm. And um, and I wanted to see it. And I figured if I if I could do it once, I could do it again. And so if all else failed, I knew I knew how to start that business again. I, I know I could do it. And so I I did take the leap and there was a lot of doubt. Like I remember my dad saying, you know, call me when you run out of money and I'll Mm -hmm. bail you out type of thing, Uh, which was really discouraging, Um, but also (laughs) added a little fuel to like my spite filled fire every time I'd be like, oh, I want to quit. And then I'd be like, no, (laughs) you're expecting that. Uh, (laughs) But Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely faced a lot of, um, that kind of within my own mind, uh, and societal pressure as well. But yeah, there's definitely like pros and cons with it. Like I look back at, um, at a lot of the friends that I grew up with and a lot of them, you know, have, have homes and careers and families and children and like, I'm 26 now and uh, I don't, I don't have those things. I mean, I do have uh, a career, but I, you know, I don't, I don't have a home. I'm not, I'm not married. I don't have children. Uh, and so there's definitely some societal conditioning that like whispers in my ear sometimes of like, Oh, you're running out of time. You know, you better hurry up like and and settle down. And like, do what they (laughs) do, what you're supposed to do type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I remind myself that like, oh, this is my life
0: and I get to live it
3: the way that I want. And, um, the American dream is
0: whatever you want it to be. It's not kids in a house. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
3: And, uh, learning how to kind of define my own happiness. Um, and a lot of traveling like very minimally was me recognizing that, I didn't need a lot to be happy. I didn't need a fancy car. I didn't need brand new clothes. Those things are nice. But I was really happy just watching the sunset on the water or like enjoying a coffee with somebody that I just met at a hostel Um, or like, you know, making new friends and having these new experiences. And that that for me feels like happiness and that for me feels like success. But it was a lot of unlearning um, to get here, you know.
0: Wow. That was a really great way to put that. Yeah, thank you. Wow. I've had, yeah, I've had
3: a long time to think about this.
0: <laughs> thank you so much, Madison. I really appreciate it. Also, I cannot believe you're 26. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Let's take a short break. I'm going to call another listener, and we'll be right back. And we're back. So now let's call a listener in Pennsylvania. I think she said she'd be at work when we call, so wow, taking a call at work. That is the sort of rebellious spirit that I look for in my listeners. Good afternoon, this is Brian. Hi, um, is Gabriella there?
1: Yes, is this for the interview? Yes. Yep, let me transfer you right to her. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hello.
0: Hey, is this Gabriella?
1: Yes, is this Gabby?
0: Yes. Hi. Do you ever go by Gabby? Hey.
1: Um, I don't actually. I go by Gabriella. I used to, but not anymore.
0: Um, that's cool that your office is like. Oh yeah, do an interview while you're he- while you're at work.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get done at four thirty, so I was like, I might as well just like stay in the office. It's a nice, quiet space. So. <laughs> All
0: right. So let's. Um, can you um tell our listeners uh who you are?
1: Sure. Um, my name is Gabriella Marrero. Um, graduated from Susquehanna University and I'm class of 2018.
0: And where are you from?
1: Um, From Reading, Pennsylvania.
0: Okay, so you moved to Spain, right? Why did you move to Spain?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so um, I studied abroad for a semester in Sevilla, Spain uh, for three months when I was a junior in college. Um, And I definitely just fell in love with the lifestyle there. Um, I lived with a host family at the time, so they like became my own family. Um, I just really enjoyed um, just the different life over there. Um, so once I graduated, um, I graduated with a degree in psychology um, and I wasn't exactly ready to go to grad school yet. So I was kind of trying to figure out my options um, and I really wanted to become fluent in Spanish. So I was like, hey, what if I go back to Spain? Um, and then I found out that the government of Spain actually sponsors um, recent college graduates to come to Spain um, for a year and teach in a public school. Um, and I, I, I taught um, science and English and Ages from like four to twelve at a at a public school. So um it was like a government program. So
0: you you were teaching science but you didn't speak Spanish?
1: So I'm Puerto Rican, so I know Puerto Rican Spanish oh. <laughs> but not Spain Spanish, which, Spain Spanish, which is a little more formal, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um so I had enough Spanish background to like live there and like get by. Um but definitely like now I can call myself fluent, but before I moved there I definitely was not, so
0: so were you studying abroad when uh, Trump got elected in 2016? Oh, my gosh.
1: Yes, Gabby, it was. It was, oh, that day was terrible. I, uh, so I went to bed. Uh, you know, I, I had casted my absentee uh, vote. So I was like, okay, Hillary's going to win. Cool. Um, and because Spain is um, six hours ahead of the U.S., um, I was asleep when the, you know, results came out. Um, so I remember waking up. And checking Twitter, and everyone was just, I just saw Trump everywhere, and I panicked. Um, I, like, went to my host parents and were like, oh, my God, like, how did this happen? Trump just won. Um, and they were like, oh, my God, Americans are idiots. Like, what What have you guys done? And I was like, I didn't vote for him. I promise. Oh, my like, gosh. Um, and even just, like, leaving my house, like, the Spaniards that I met on the street or, like, even just at my university, um, my um, Arab world teacher, um, literally just let us sit in silence and like cry and like be sad. Cause she like realized how like traumatic it was for the American students. So it was a really terrible day that I will literally not forget. Oh my God.
0: Wait. So, well, first of all, I was at a gay bar when it got announced. So
1: <laughs> real rough <laughs> perfect, for me. Perfect. Um, right, right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, when did you make the decision to actually live in Spain? Like what was going on in your life at that point? And like, were you sort of like, I don't want to go back to the U S or, or what was the, what were all the factors?
1: Um, so I really just wanted to do something different and I, am you know, I'm young, I'm 23 years old. Like I, I, just wanted to do something that I could do now and maybe not possibly in, in the future. Um, cause I'm, you know, I'm trying to build a career. Um, so I was just like, Hey, this is the time to do it. Um, so my parents were supportive just because again, you know, I did study abroad there before, so they were comfortable, um, sending me off. Um, and then once I was there, it was, it was rough. Like I, it's obviously hard to, um, just to live. Um, the the government, when you do this program, you don't get a choice of where you get placed. Mm. Um, so I was placed in a very small village called Maria with a population with less than a thousand people. Oh. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was definitely a big, big change for me.
0: <laughs> how How expensive was the
1: move? So the plane ticket itself, I'd say was about uh, 600 round trip um, just because I did come back um, for Christmas. So I started my job in September 2018 and I went home for Christmas in December 2018. Um, so just that round trip was like about 600. Um, it was expensive because just the visa to, to live in another country um, for Spain specifically, it was $160 for a 90 day visa. Um, and the thing about visas is you have to go like physically to the consulate. Um, so, you you know, they don't email it to you. You can't mail an application. Um, and, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania, so I had to take a bus to New York City to physically apply. And then they told me, okay, you have to wait a whole month and then you have to come back. Like I had to go back to New York just to pick up my passport. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really kind of stressful process um, and definitely expensive because, you know, New York City is not cheap. Um, I had to stay in a hotel for a night um, both times, um, the bus there and back. So...
0: Were there immigration fees to go into Spain?
1: Yeah. So once I was there, um, I had to apply for a residency card um, that was basically like, I'm not a citizen, but I'm going to be staying here for a while. Um, And even that process um, wasn't as expensive as the visa process, but it was kind of infuriating because, um, like, I got there in September. um, I had to get a a residency card by December. Um, I went online to make an appointment and there weren't appointments until December. And this is like in September when I checked. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's like a whole mess. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I had to travel to the city where um, the residency card building was, um, which was like three hours away from my village. So I had to take, you know, buses back and forth. I'd have to take days off of work. Um, so it's, all, it's also not an easy process once you get there.
0: Yeah, they they sort of purposefully make it very bureaucratic.
1: Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. And it it was so frustrating. Like, I remember I would be waiting in line and I just feel so defeated. Like, do they even like want me here? You know, it was like that kind of feeling, like the way that they make it so hard. And then it just people give up for that reason. And I totally understand.
0: Uh, Was there any sort of idea of like, oh, well, you're American. So we we are we do want you here. Or was it like everybody was sort of in the same boat?
1: So, yeah, so in my small village, everyone loved having an American because they all wanted me to, like, um, help them with English, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, when it came to, like, applying for the literal card and going to government buildings, um, they were very, um, you know, just not nice about um, my Spanish speaking skills were OK, um, but it wasn't perfect. Um, so they would, like, laugh at me if I, like, mispronounce something or they would it was just wasn't uh, a pleasant environment. Um, Once I went to like the government buildings that I had to go to. Um, So it it was just like a sense of, I don't know, just like a a sense of shame almost of like, why are you doing this if you don't even speak Spanish fluently kind of thing? Um.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's sort of the immigration process almost like in the U.S. I whenever I have to go to the DMV or whenever I've gone down to City Hall or whatever, it's always like the people that don't speak English. I'm like, they're getting treated like shit right now.
1: Yes. Yeah, seriously. And honestly, it was the same in Spain. Like, again, like I, I've had people laugh at me for my pronunciation instead of like helping me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had people mm-hmm. be like, um, I don't speak like you're speaking Spanish to me, but I don't understand you. So talk to this person. Yeah. And I was like, ah, like, it's crazy. So
0: um, do you feel like all of that was worth it to living there?
1: I do. I do. Um, Honestly, living in Spain definitely made me a stronger person for sure. Um, And also, um, again, like when I was living in Spain, uh, 2018 through 2019, um, you know, Trump's immigration policies were, you know, all there was in the news. Um, And it kind of made it uh, it like drove it home for me. Like I was having my own experience in a foreign country, um, having all these like doors slammed in my face. And all I wanted was to just live comfortably in this country Um, and it just, it just brought it like full circle. Like this is what the immigrants in the U S are facing. Um, not just in the U S just like all over the world. Um, so it really brought a really great lesson home to me. Um, but you know, Spain is a beautiful country. I've, I met beautiful people there. Um, I have memories. I, I travel, I've been to over like 25 countries and islands in my life. Like I I'll never stop traveling. Um, but yeah, that was, it was just rough trying to become permanent, if that makes sense. So.
0: Yeah, I've heard, you know, we've heard from a few people that the as the Trump administration gets more um, intense on immigration, there's a uh, like other countries respond to that by being also tougher on uh, immigration or, or, uh, especially like Americans.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, when I came back from Christmas break, which was like the first week of January, 2019, um, I was stopped by the Norwegian, Norwegian, um, border control while I was in the airport because I was an American citizen, but I was living in Spain. Um, so they like stopped me and like pushed me aside and was like asking me these questions. Like, why are you living in Spain? Like, why don't you have a plane ticket back yet? Like what's your business here? Um, and that was in Norway. Um, so I, I even had trouble like coming back to Spain, you know, like I said, I've, I've traveled before this. Um, and even just like this past two years traveling, like you can feel, um, how tense and uncomfortable like immigration and border control is at all the airports that I've been to, like internationally. Um, there's just like this sense of fear and like, like uncertainty that makes sense
0: by the people trying to go through.
1: Yeah, like it's, it's just like a like an energy um, that I've that I've sensed that I've never sensed before traveling like the past two years. Um, and again, even as an American, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm an, I'm an American. I can get into any country. Um, even I, as a U.S. American, was just like, oh, my gosh, are they going to let me through? Like it's made it harder to just travel peacefully and comfortably.
0: Um, so you came back to the U.S. When when and why did you decide to move back to the U.S.?
1: Yeah. So I moved back, um, in May, 2019, um, my contract had ended. Um, I was offered another year extension, um, to move, you know, somewhere else in Spain to teach for another year. Um, but ultimately I just decided not to, um, just even while I was in Spain, I was experiencing some depression, some anxiety. Um, and I just, uh, it was just like the whole immigration process rubbed me the wrong way. Like it didn't make me feel welcome. Um, And I just it made me reflect on why I feel so comfortable at home. Um, So I just ultimately decided that it was time to go um, and that even though another year abroad would have been, I'm sure, an incredible experience, uh, it just wasn't the right timing for me personally.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people that we've talked to who uh, have left, you know, who who have left the U.S. and You know, there's a lot of talk of like, oh, well, where I'm living now outside the U.S. is like infinitely better and like fuck the U.S. or whatever. Um, But you are kind of the person we're talking to who felt uncomfortable uh, where they were or felt sort of like uh, uh, pushed aside by the immigration process where you were. And then coming back to the U.S., I know, did you feel like you wanted to sort of invest in the U.S. right now? I mean, it's interesting to come back right before the 2020 election.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and and again, some of the reasons that I did come back um, again, I, I was experiencing some depression um, and a lot of, uh, again, in Spain, like mental health is not an issue that they openly talk about. Um, in my very small village, there was no psychologist available. Like the, the next one available was like towns away. Um, so that wasn't great. Um, I'm bisexual. So I also, again, like at work, I didn't feel comfortable like disclosing that I had a girlfriend at the time. And I felt like I like, couldn't be myself if that makes sense. So, um, a lot of my time in Spain was me hiding my like true self. Unfortunately, do they
0: have do they have gay marriage there? Or are they more homophobic, or just because you were in a small town? So-
1: yeah so they do have gay marriage um and Sevilla um which is the city that I was in in two thousand sixteen um is was definitely a little more comfortable with it um but again it, i think it was like a small village setting that kind of made me very uncomfortable sharing um things with my coworkers um because the the public school that I worked at is named after a saint oh. <laughs> so I was like oh man, and and you know the primary religion in Spain is uh Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, I just didn 't feel comfortable like telling anyone that I had a girlfriend at the time and being honest with people. um I had coworkers tell me like oh you're you look sad, go stand out in the sun it 'll make you feel better and I was like no i'm depressed <laughs> i 'm depressed, <laughs> I need a therapist i don't need the sun <laughs> uh, which is like super infuriating, you know like I just people constantly being like stop being sad, and I was like... I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't. <laughs> I need a therapist.
0: So. I don't need the sun. Put it on a T-shirt. Literally. Um, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So going back to like, so you, you coming back before tw- the twenty twenty election is interesting. Like, did you yes. did you? Because I'm sure homesickness is definitely a thing people think about. But also, I know people who are like, you know, after Trump was elected, they were like, the I, the the thing isn't to leave; it's to come back and invest in the U S. Right.
1: Sure. Um honestly a lot of the time when I was in Spain um I tried to watch a lot of Trevor Noah, um Stephen Colbert just to like keep light of things but also keep myself informed um of you know what was happening. Um and even though I didn't feel like I, I could do a lot of advocacy while I was there, um once I came back, you know, I was like, okay, who are the, who are the uh the nominees? Like let's let's get to it. Um, and right now, again, I just feel this kind of like fire in me because, again, I was absent, uh, physically absent for the 2016 election. Um, but now that I'm here, I feel like um, I can really, you know, make that difference. I'm educating myself about the candidates, even though there's so many <laughs> of them.
0: No, for sure. But it is interesting to the the concept of like, I have to come back to where I'm from because I feel a responsibility like as an as an American yeah. to come back during this time, you know
1: it was almost like a sense of sec- uh security um being in another country but also a sense of um like sadness that i wasn't here to just like witness everything that was happening and to be with my friends and just like have those discussions um, cuz even when i tried to have political discussions about trump in spain like no one got it yeah. and and i understand you know it's not their country it's not their problem essentially um but at the same time it it had such a international um like it, it like internationally mm-hmm. you can feel trump's um, rhetoric and it's just, oh, it makes you feel gross.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is, it is that thing of, I want to stay and fight where like, yeah, which can feel kind of hopeless, but it is good to talk to someone on this, on this show that is like, I want to, I came back to educate myself and to try to like be involved this time around basically.
1: Exactly yeah, it honestly felt like i there was nothing I could do over there unless I was here,
0: um, so what do you feel was your most costly expense of living abroad, either money wise or lost time, which you know you talked about a little bit,
1: sure. Um, so, I had a pretty unique experience. So, once I landed in Spain, um, there was a local family that um, had heard that an American student um, was living in this village and had asked me to live with them. Um, and kind of the deal was, you know, I lived what rent-free um, if I helped teach their kids English and kind of helped around the house a little mm-hmm. bit, um, which at first um, seemed like a really great deal. Um, and they're also a wonderful family, like we, we got along really well, um, but now that I reflect on on it. Um, I, again, I was just, I was depressed at the time. Um, I couldn't give the kids like my a hundred percent. Um, I'd come home and play with the kids and like not go to bed till late. Um, and I, again, I just think that kind of made my mental health worse. Uh-huh. Um, but at the time I was thinking like, Oh, I'm, I'm saving rent. I'm saving rent. I'm saving rent. Like I just have to do it kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, so ultimately, um, I think 4 months into it I decided to move in with another roommate um for the rest of my time just because it was living with a host family was just mentally exhausting and I just couldn't do it. So I wish that I hadn't you know been so uh quick to try to save money and just put my mental health to the side mm-hmm. um because I think I would have had uh, a more enjoy- enjoyable experience if I just would have paid rent somewhere. So Yeah,
0: I think a lot of people that we've talked to have mentioned the thing of going to work somewhere for free and living rent-free while mm-hmm. you help with kids or clean. And everyone's like, oh, well, that's such a great idea or whatever. But then in my mind, I'm like, you you got to talk to kids, though.
1: <laughs> right, and, you know, I just again, it's just like the, I didn't have free time. Like I didn't have time for myself. Um, and you know, I'm sure you understand like with depression, it's hard. It's hard to even like get up every day. Uh Um, so the fact that I would have to go to work and then come home, um, and give my energy to these kids, I just, I didn't have it in me. Um, and they didn't deserve that, you know? So, you know, again, I ultimately decided, Uh, that that just wasn't the best move for me but I think I've I should have made that decision earlier on for sure
0: this is good to to have on the show because I think people are really like romanticize this sort of you know like oh you could just do this you could just do that and like I think a lot of people listening are probably like just you know what I mean like you (laughs) could just do that yeah thank uh thank you so much uh fellow Gabriella although I am Gabrielle but we're all we're all <laughs> Gabrielle's in our hearts. Absolutely. Okay. So I know I complain a lot, probably at least once a day, every single day, about something in the U.S., especially on this show. But the truth is that I am glad to be here. I get what Gabriella is saying. It's important to be in America right now. And it's important to note that not everyone is looking to leave. It's sort of dismissive of the people who are trying their hardest to get in, right? Like, you know, this show definitely skews a certain a certain way, a certain political demographic. Like, I get that. And I don't proclaim to be right. You know, there are other shows that will, will focus other voices and will talk about other things. And, you know, I'm just talking from my own perspective and what I'm trying to figure out, you know? Obviously, like like I do. Like I said, I just sort of talk and run my mouth. So I understand that this season has had a focus on um, where to go outside of the U.S. because previous seasons have talked about what we need to do better in the U.S. But everyone's experience is different. And I just want to acknowledge that other people listening might not feel that they want to leave America. And moving somewhere else maybe is running away. So are we running towards some ideal place that doesn't actually exist? Or should we stay here and fight? Thanks for listening. No, wait. Thanks for making this episode with me and sharing your experiences. I always wanna hear your stories. So even after we drop this episode, Please continue to share them. Hit me up at Gabby Dunn on Twitter and at Gabby Road on Instagram. It's a Beatles reference. I made it a long time ago. I hate it. Don't forget to share this episode with all your friends. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us. And make sure you're subscribed on Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, we have merch at PodSwag.com. This show is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our audio engineer is Brendan Burns. Our audio is edited by Andy Christens. And our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Original music is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan and Jack Dolgen and our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Bad with money is a production of Stitcher. I'm Gabby Dunn and I'll see you next week. <laughs> That's me liking America. <laughs>